Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. As uh, we do the Saturday edition of The Yard, we are not doing the Friday edition. Uh, had some family issues I had to address. I know you guys understand all that. Um... But I wanted to give, uh, you know, I guess a bit of an explanation. I know many of you will message me and say, hey, Steve, no need to. you got to take care of family. And that's true. And I, I'm a guy that is constantly on the road and constantly uh, involved in things. I don't always get to go home very often. You know, my home is, I live in Starkville. And this is where I'll be, I guess, until I get to a point where I can't take care of myself. But uh, And then probably that decision will be made by my children. But um, I am someone's child, too. And so I had uh, I had a speaking engagement last night in Macomb, and so the original plan was I was just going to drive down 55 and, uh, and go to Macomb, handle a speaking engagement, and come back. But there were some developments this week in my hometown of Columbia, Mississippi, that I felt I needed to address. So my mother um, had a really difficult quarantine. Uh, my stepdad is in remission from cancer. And uh, it's on dialysis, and so there's a lot to go along with that. And so we didn't get to see each other a lot during 2020, uh, not because they just didn't want to come up here, but we just didn't want to go down there because with all the things going on with the COVID virus, the last thing you want to do is have a you know, a sick relative and you kind of unknowingly uh, you know, pass or transmit you know, the COVID virus onto them. So we just kind of kept our distance for the better part of a year. And... Uh, during that stretch, I guess maybe in the early stages of 2021, it all kind of runs together after a while. My mom's twin passed away, and it was very difficult, as you could imagine. Any of us losing a sibling, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. And then it's a twin. I mean, you know, there has not been a day in my mom's existence where she didn't have her twin. And so... That happened, and then shortly thereafter, my wife's only brother, his wife, passed away. And, and she was uh, you know, somebody that had really battled cancer most of her adult life. They would, you know, she'd have this cancer, and then they would beat it, and then another cancer would pop up. She was a person that really dealt with that throughout her adult life. And of course, there were some good years and good stretches where we didn't have to think about all that. But we lost them both in a very short amount of time. And the most difficult part of that, I think, in many respects, is um, you know, my Aunt Becky passed away. So my Uncle Warren, who is my wife's only brother, her baby brother, had some medical issues of his own. And uh, had, a, had a stroke and had some circulatory issues as a relation to that and uh, lost use of his uh, right arm. And he was a guy that was a musician and a minister and uh, lost the ability to play guitar and really kind of function for himself. So my mom has been taking care of him. And then we had to make the difficult decision uh, to put him in a nursing home. And so all of that just kind of compounded after a while. And I think my mom just really felt really, really down in the dumps uh, having to put my Uncle Warren in a nursing home. And so that happened this week. And um, 
So I had someone else in my family reach out to me and say, hey, you know, your mom's really not uh, doing well emotionally. And so I decided, you know what, since I have to go to South Mississippi anyway, I'll just take the day. So I cleared my calendar. Matter of fact, I, I, I'm, you know, skipped out on a conference call and things like that. And, and those, those things, you know, we can get caught up on that, right? Sometimes you have to put family first. And so I made the trip down, long, long day yesterday, got up, got my dog settled and uh, make the drive down to 45, stopped in Hattiesburg to have lunch with a dear friend, talk some recoveries, kind of get caught up, and then went over and spent a few hours with my mom, and then over to Macomb for the speaking engagement, which was fantastic. Appreciate everybody that came out. And then back home. So I did the big Mississippi rectangle, you know, 82 to 45, and across on 98 over to 55, back up at home. So I'm back. But I had to take the day to deal with all of that. And I don't feel bad about it. I know you guys would never think any less of me. It's very rare that we have to reschedule a boneyard. But in this situation, I just felt like I had to do the right thing. I didn't even tell my mom I was coming. I just showed up. And much to her surprise, her youngest child was there. And we don't get to see each other very often. And you know, that's the thing, too, about social media. You know, Facebook makes us lazy, right? You know, like, because you know how it is, like, I feel like once I've seen, you know, my, my sisters and my brother, you know, post pictures of their kids and what's going on, you feel like you're caught up, even though you don't really talk. And so I'm probably the world's worst about that sort of stuff. I feel like I kind of know what's going on, even if I don't. Uh, so I just felt like, you know what, I needed to go do this, and I did. I'm glad that I went and uh, posted a video of her surprise. My stepdad, who's a great guy, uh, really did a nice job. You know, my mom's laying down taking a nap. And uh, my mom's in her early 70s, and, and so was he. And so he did, didn't even tell her I was there. Just said they had company, and she gets up, and lo and behold, there I am. And so grateful to do that. So I'm, I'm recording on Saturday because, uh, you know, there's things to talk about. We had some developments yesterday. Uh, I want to share with you, too. I got a call late yesterday that there has been, I guess, commitments is the word to use, that the balconies are all gone or nearly gone as of now. Now, somebody else hit me up on Twitter. I think it was Perry Egger that said, hey, I called, and I don't know that they're quite sold yet. I think there's still some things to go through in the process, and, and that's probably true. I, I, don't, I don't know. I know that I did correspond with Mike Ritchie a couple days ago on day one, and uh, we had commitments on, on nearly half or, or right at half of them then. And so there has been a lot of interest in the balconies, and I think it's important for you guys to understand too I don't think this is the end of kind of the mobility renovation at Mississippi State facilities. So if this thing goes over well, and I'm not saying we completely abandon you know, the bleacher thing in the upper decks, but I won't be the least bit surprised if either we expand these or something like that. So if people really, really like them, I think the administration will continue to kind of do more of these things. I think it's important to understand it. And maybe that's what we do in the south end zone. I don't know. You know, maybe you make that an SRO area. Not, not exactly sure yet. But there has been a major amount of interest in the balconies at Davis Wade Stadium. And some people have said, Steve, I don't really care for the name. You know, I, I don't really – it doesn't matter to me. You can call whatever you want to. You know, I think eventually we'll, uh, we'll come up with a name for it too, like we did with the Left Field Lounge. We'll come up with something cool that we'll all get behind and you'll say, hey, that's, that, there's this. You know, we call it this. And I think what you're going to see too – is I think you're going to see some schools around the Southeastern Conference probably do some similar things too. 
and I don't know if it's a student area. I don't know if that's uh, you know family area. But I think that you're going. I think this is kind of maybe a step towards some different functionality at football stadiums around the country and, and certainly in the Southeastern Conference. I think people maybe let us be the guinea pig and say, you know what, hey, we're going to do this. That's somebody tell me yesterday that there were a handful of games last year. The University of Alabama didn't, didn't utilize uh, their upper decks either. There were a couple of their upper decks games that, the, that they were completely empty or, or nearly empty, and that's Alabama. And so if Alabama is having to think about being creative – you know, what they're going to do there at Bryant-Denny. I mean, of course, they have some huge ball games there, and they pack that place out there. Other times they don't. So whether it's a temporary situation, but either way, things are changing. I think people forget, too, you know, University of Kentucky, when they renovated Commonwealth Stadium, you know, they made it a little more comfortable for fans. You know, where a lot of other people at the time were adding capacity. Kentucky says, you know what, we don't need to add any seats. We need to make what we have a little bit better. And they did. And if you've been to Commonwealth, you'll see you know, the outside of that stadium is not much to look at. It's really not. But you get inside, it's a nice venue for football. The sight lines are really good. The color scheme is really good. And, and it's a guy that shoots photography at times in ball games. It's a great place to shoot. It's well lit, good backgrounds. So I don't think these um, – the arms race when it comes to football attendance, I think that is probably over. I don't think you're going to see Tennessee or LSU or you know, the big house. It's like that, that used to be the measure of our commitment, right? Is, well, how many people can we pack out in the stadium? And, and the thing that I'll go back to, you know, we had all these sellouts under Dan Mullen, but, you know, I was a guy, too, to bought some of those tickets, too. You're trying to con- you know, contribute to the sellout, but also, too, you know, to make sure those uh, those – those tickets got in the hands of maybe local families or you went to the boys and girls club, you know, it's like I would buy the tickets and donate them and say, Hey, give these to whatever, you know, but those seats were rarely ever used. I mean, how many times have we really had, um, you know, a capacity crowd in recent years? I think COVID's a part of that too. I think a lot of people too have kind of gotten out of the habit, you know, there's sometimes like I'll go to certain social events, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Mississippi State related or recovery related, and they're like, hey, you know, so-and-so really hadn't been the last couple of years. And people get out of the habit of going and making the effort to go. And that's not an indictment on them. That's just the, kind of the reality of life is, well, you know, I've gotten used to kind of sitting at home. I've kind of built up my man cave or my, my football watching area. Maybe I've got the projector and, you know, we, we're, we're comfortable here. We've made such an investment in our home to make this a place to get together with friends and family and watch ball games. Ah, you know, we'd rather be here than go to the ball game. I contend to you there's nothing that beats being there, but I also understand. So, and again, I wanted to kind of share what happened yesterday. And I had so many of you that reached out and said, hey, Steve, hope you're okay. You know, make, make, hope things are good, you know. Uh, a lot of people thought maybe it was something a little more uh, important uh, as far as Mississippi State related, but it wasn't. It was strictly a family issue. So, so that's where we go. Uh, before I move on to uh, you, may the announcement's probably up by now. I've confirmed it with multiple people in the Mississippi State family. Uh, Mississippi State Chief of Staff Dave Emrick is leaving the Bulldog program uh, to head to the University of Southern California to reunite one of his best friends, Lincoln Riley. This is not a situation. Uh, where Dave was, one, was unhappy at Mississippi State. It's not a situation where Mississippi State was unhappy with Dave Emmerich. It's just basically kind of a once-in-a-lifetime top opportunity uh, to, to, number one, make more money, but also, to be with somebody else that you know and love. And, and uh, he's been with Mike now for 18 years. And so a lot of people would suggest that, you know, hey, there's got to be more to it. Uh, there's not. And if there were, I would tell you. 
you know, Dave, I think, has done a good job here at Mississippi State and uh, traded some tax with him earlier today. So the announcement's probably up by now, and if it's not, it will be soon. But uh, we wish Dave Emmerich and his family the best and uh, appreciate their contributions to Mississippi State Athletics. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Don't you love those guys? I do. Man, I love going in there and eating. That's one of the things that I love about, you know, our local eateries here in Starkville. There is a consistency there. I know that I can see, you know what, I'm going to have a good experience here. I like to get out and try new places when I travel, but when I'm home, I like to eat Bulldog Burger Company because I know that I'm going to get a great meal at a great price with a great atmosphere, great service every single time. And it's not just because it's me. They do it for everybody. It's wonderful. Bulldog Burger Company is a great place for a guy's night out, a lady's night out, mom and dad's night out, whatever. You can go have an adult beverage. You can have a family meal, whatever you'd like to do. I don't know if you drink in front of your kids or not. Maybe you do. I'm not judging you. Maybe you have a cold one at the table. That's your business. You can do that, or you can say, you know what, hey, we're just going to get restaurant-quality hamburgers and drink chocolate shakes. That's what we're going to do. We're going to make it a family event. A lot of range when it comes to Bulldog Burger Company. That's one of the things I love. Like, I'll go in there and sit down and have my meal, and there'll be a group of college kids here that are celebrating maybe somebody's graduation. There'll be a family here that somebody's, you know, in town for a ball game. Then I look over here, and you know, there's, there's a group of guys sitting around, you know, kind of just chewing the fat, talking bulldog baseball. I mean, it's like it's such a, a wide variety of of place of people that that frequent that that great restaurant we have here. It's not so stuffy, right? I mean, I, I don't want to have to go somewhere and feel uncomfortable. I always feel comfortable at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you: University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridgeland Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out. You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It is now officially in print and on the menu, which makes it a fact. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, we had some uh, recruiting news yesterday. We'll start with football. So many of you saw Steve Spurrier tweet out the eyes, you know, and then there's uh, Drew Hollingshead kind of jumping on board there too. And some people are like, hey, what's up with this? Well, you know, we knew, and I, I should have put my story together. Paul did. Uh, did a great job kind of getting those things together for us. But uh, State picks up a receiver. We talked about wide receiver recruiting earlier uh, this month. We talked about last week, you know, about, hey, what's, what should we expect? You know, State needs to get four. Well, now State needs to get three. State picked up the verbal commitment of Norcross, Georgia, wide receiver, Nakai Poole on Friday. 6'3", 205 pounds, rated a composite three-star, uh, 86 and a half. 247 has him as 87, currently listed as the number 80 receiver nationally and just outside of the top 50 uh, prospects in uh, the state of Georgia. How cool is that? All right, so let's run down kind of what we're getting in the Capoke. I'll have an article up later today uh, kind of breaking down. I haven't watched film on him yet. This is a guy that Drew Hollingshead was the area recruiter, and, of course, Steve Spurrier Jr., who I believe is Mississippi State's best out-of-state recruiter. You could make a case for Mason Miller, but I think Steve Spurrier Jr. has done a remarkable job selling the Mississippi State brand out-of-state prospects. And so I, that's if I had to rank them, I would say Steve Spurrier Jr., the best out-of-state recruiter on the Mississippi State staff. Uh, so look, run through the offer list here. 
Poole had offers from Appalachian State, Arkansas State, Auburn, Boston College, Central Michigan, Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, Duke, Eastern Carolina, Florida International, Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Kansas, Kansas State, Liberty, Louisville, LSU, Michigan State, Ole Miss, South Florida, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, and others. So a lot of Power Fives in there, including some SEC options. But uh, a very good-looking prospect, a guy that uh, obviously had the recruiting brand that we're looking for. You know, it's like if we're going to take the next step, and and you guys know me well enough to know I'm very much an advocate for Mississippi kids. But in order for us to really take the next step offensively, you know, we've got to be able to go out there and recruit great skill players from around the southeast and potentially the country, you know. But by and large, that's kind of be, going to be where we are. We're going to be recruiting guys from the southeast. This is a step in that direction. This is an opportunity for us to kind of make some things happen. Now, looking at the numbers last year for Nikai Polk, not Nikai Pool, excuse me, that's going to be difficult, isn't it? How many times are we going to call him a combination of his name and Nikai Polk? Maybe it's just me. But Nikai Pool had a big year last year. Uh, according to his Max Preps profile, played in 12 games, 40 receptions, 703 yards, a long of 73 with 11 touchdowns. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive numbers to say there. Also uh, worked some as a return guy, not a whole lot, but uh, did have some return opportunities. And uh, was a guy that regularly found the end zone. And Norcross, if you're unfamiliar, Norcross traditionally has players. This is not like some guy off the beaten path. This is a guy that plays a good brand of football and a great program. So we're excited to have him. So, you know, what's next in wide receiver recruiting? You know, we've heard the name Paul Davis mentioned a couple times. He's currently committed to Duke. I'm not ready to go in on that one. I'm not ready to put a crystal ball in or anything like that. I think that's probably a kid that needs to come to top dog camp. Need to see him run. You look at his film, he kind of runs with people. I don't know that he really runs away from people. Uh, Shaborn Demps. We had him in camp, a little bit on the smaller side, and he's put together pretty well. Like, he's a smaller guy, but you can tell he, you know, he's, he knows where the weight room is. Uh, very committed, I guess, to physical fitness and really good getting in and out of his routes, but again, kind of on the smaller side. Jacoby Belazar, former Baton Rouge product down at Southwest Community College. I think that's the guys you, you look at too. And so there, there's some names out there. And that's the thing Steve Spurrier kind of operates like a ninja. You know, it's like you kind of don't know what's happening. The next thing you know, boom, commitment, right? All right, on the baseball side of things, we picked up a commitment as well. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. 
Be sure and check them out. Tacovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The younger brother of Kellum Clark, Kincaid Clark, has committed to Mississippi State. This is one that I've been expecting for a while. I thought it was just really a matter of time before State got really serious about him. They have. Now, he is now throwing in the mid-90s. If you go look at his perfect game report, you know, they've clocked him you know, in the high 80s with a top out somewhere around 90. He is throwing mid-90s now. And is a guy, too, that um, threw a perfect game in the playoffs this year against Biloxi. And then in the final inning of the perfect game, struck out the side. 5'10-ish, 5'11-ish, just under six foot. Right-handed pitcher. Could play some utility stuff for you if you needed him to. He's not as big as Kellum, but a very, very talented guy. And so you look around this guy and you begin to think, okay, this is a 2023 guy. Uh, and let me read you the, uh, the, the, the scouting report that Perfect Game has out there for you too. And this is from a year ago. Kincaid Clark is a 2023 third-base right-hand pitcher infielder with a 5'10", 175-pound frame from Brandon, Mississippi, who attends Brandon High School. Medium athletic build with some present strength and room for plenty more. Right-handed hitter hits from the spread stance with a hanging leg lift load. Has good rhythm and timing to his swing. Should quick hands, good bat speed, accurate barrel with consistent line drive contact. Polished approach that will enable him to keep growing as a hitter as he gets older. 7-4-6 in the 60, which is not blazing. Uh, primary infielder on defense has plenty of arm strength to the left side of the diamond. Moves well with his lower half and had smooth backhand actions. Also played the outfield with plenty of arm strength and good overall athleticism, took a turn on the mound, showed good arm speed with a whippy three-fourths arm action. Uh, some crossfire action out front, fastball, worked in the mid-80s, topped out at 87, again, it's a year ago. Uh, get some arm strength, got some arm strength run, 
action at times. Changeup was his best secondary pitch this outing. Nice arm speed with some fading action. Tends to overthrow his curveball curveball at present. Nice all-around athlete with plenty of projection. Good student named to the Sunshine Golf Showcase top prospect list. So over the course of two years, he gained 17 mile per hour on his fastball from 19 to 21. And now they tell me he's picked up a few more and is maxing out 94-95. I do think that he comes in as a pitcher. I think he stays as a pitcher. And this is a great family. They're from Brandon, Mississippi State, people all the way. Uh, His name is Kincaid. They affectionately call him KK. This guy can be a dude for us. He absolutely can. He he can absolutely be a dude for us. And I think that's something to get excited about, too. Uh, There's just so many players, too. He's he's a junior this year. There's so many players in this great state of Mississippi that dream of coming to Mississippi State, participating. Uh, This one was just really a matter of, you know, would Mississippi State offer and get really serious about him? They have. And so that's exciting. So we'll add him to the mix. Of course, Mississippi State um, 2022 class ranked really high. 2023 class going to be a really good class too. And that's uh, let's kind of check our stat, our uh, our standing there too. While while we're together here, right? Um, you know, I I like the fact that we go out and get some of these guys that um, are home staters that love Mississippi State. And I'm not saying that's got to be the only criteria, obviously. And you've got to be able to go out there and get some guys that can play. There are a lot of our own kids that would love to have played at Mississippi State just didn't have the ability. This is a guy that does. And so when you look at this, you know, there's a lot that goes along with this class. You start getting excited about this group. You really do. You start getting excited about 2023. Uh, and that's the thing that I, I get excited about, too, is, like, you begin to stack classes. You begin to start stacking classes, and that's where I think things really change for you. When you start stacking classes, and then you supplement some of the portal. Now, you guys know the 2022 class ranked number eight, according to some services, top ten for sure. The 2023 class right now is also ranked in the top ten. So all of a sudden, you start thinking about, okay, we're starting to put together top ten classes and then able to pull some guys from the portal, and you start realizing, okay, this is this is sustainable. One of the things that Chris Simonis was known for uh, as an assistant coach, as a guy that was a dogged recruiter, he still is. And in order for us to really truly compete in this league, you've got to have a head coach that's ate up with recruiting, and Chris is. So we'll see how things progress there. But a good development, uh, to say the least. And so uh, two new Bulldogs. Again, that's Nakai Poole out of Norcross, Georgia, on the football side. And then Kincaid Clark on the baseball side. Both will be rising seniors this year. So excited about all that. You should be as well. And uh, I think there is a chance we pick up a commitment or two before the next top dog camp. It's dead right now. And so there's no camps going on. There's nobody like coming in for unofficial visits. Most of your staff is on vacation. This is one of the only times they get to do it all year. And so there'll be some contact with players. But I just I think a lot of guys out there kind of enjoying their summer. There will be a few commitments here and there uh, around – this region, you know, John Slaughter from South Haven committed to Tennessee today. Uh, he was a Steve, was an in-state kid. Yeah, State was really never really a factor with him, and uh, State did offer him early on. But this this is the year, I think in many respects, if we're being honest with ourselves, the in-state crop this year, this is the year of the DB in Mississippi. Now, you may not have like a headliner, or, you know, a guy that's going to be, you know, like a, uh, you know, Terrell Buckley or anything like that, or Fred Smoot, you know, a guy that could be a game changer for a program. 
But there are a lot of guys out there that have the ability to play on the Power 5 level that line up in defensive back this year. And so I think it's a big year in that respect. And I think in many respects, State is going to be able to meet their defensive needs in State, with, with rare exception. I think it's going to be a very, very heavy Mississippi, clay, Mississippi class on the defensive side. And, you know, John Slaughter, another guy too. Would we have taken him? Absolutely, we would have. Uh, we look at him, Dante Kelly, you know, Kelly Jones, Isaac Smith, who I think is a phenomenal football player. I told you guys that before. I think he's going to the National Football League if he provides he stays healthy and continues to work hard. But if you're looking for DBs this year, especially safeties, you can find them in Mississippi. There are a lot of them. I don't know corner-wise how many guys there really are. But States went out and got Jalen Abram, and you got Kelly Jones, and one or two or both of those guys could end up, um, you know, growing up to be a safety. They'll start out at corner. We'll see how things progress. But uh, I just really feel good about the in-state crop this year. Not like I did, you know, maybe a couple years ago when I said, hey, this is, this is going to be a great class. A lot of headliners in the class. And I still contend that uh, a couple years ago we had one of the more overrated classes in the history of the industry. A lot of people get excited and start counting offers. You know, the tape doesn't lie. You can say, well, how are they getting all these offers? Well, you know, some of them are fake, right? Some of them are. We kind of went through this a couple weeks ago, you know, about how some of these players that were so highly heralded as prospects and lauded, like, oh, this guy's this. And, and here's what happens, too. Like, let's say that you were the area recruiter from, say, Tennessee. And you are required to recruit certain counties in the state of Mississippi. Well, then all of a sudden, there's a guy that pops up in your in your territory. It's all of a sudden he's got offers from you know Auburn or State or Ole Miss. You got to go walk into a staff meeting, and your head coach is going to be like, "Hey, well, what's the deal with this kid?" And you know, a lot of times guys will just throw an offer at him to save face. That means you got to take him. It's like, "Hey, man, we want to offer you too." Then the kid tweets out the graphic, and all of a sudden it kind of slows the process down a little bit. But they're not committable offers. Well, then all of a sudden, well, Tennessee's offer. Well, then what's going to happen here? You know, Alabama doesn't throw a lot of offers out there that are disingenuous uh, later in the process based on what somebody else does. But they do go out there and sometimes extend offers during the spring evaluation period that work out to be a glorified invitation to camp. And sometimes our fans don't appreciate that. And, and how do you really differentiate between the two? There are a bunch of them out there. There have been some kids in Mississippi that have had a, quote, offer from Alabama that the only chance they had of uh, seeing Alabama play up, plo- up close was to buy a ticket or play against them. And so there's a lot of gamesmanship with all this stuff, and nobody wants to look silly. And, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, you know, we had some kids that, uh, you know, LSU jumped out there and threw some offers at them early. And I thought to myself, there is no way LSU's going to take these kids. Well, then LSU offered, and then we offered, and some other people offered, and then they ultimately ended up going somewhere else. And so you got to understand, just because there's a kid out there that claims uh, eight, nine, ten offers, doesn't mean that he truly has the ability to commit to eight or nine or ten schools. There's a lot to it. And everybody complicates it now with the NIL. And, and uh, I think it's important to understand that, you know, talking, even talking to some of your current players, a lot of times they don't want to go do all the NIL stuff. you got to go do things. you got to make these trips and things like that. We touch on that as well. And so it's like, you know what, hey, it's not, it's not really worth my time when you factor in all the things that I've got to do as a student athlete here on the college level. And so 
I think we're, there's so much out there about recruiting right now. And that, that listen, some of that's going to flame out. You say, Steve, how can it? Well, they'll, they'll put something together. They'll unionize and put together a collective bargaining agreement. There will be some things out there that will be different than what we're experiencing today. We just kind of got to be able to tread water right now. You know, we got to get out there and be real active in the Portland baseball, obviously. Got to throw some money out there from the collective, whatever, to get things done. But there will be changes in the foreseeable future. Probably not today, probably not tomorrow, maybe not even this year. I think those August meetings will be awfully interesting. You know, what are we going to do? And people, people oh, are worried about lawsuits. Well, I mean, you know, that's life. That's life. And, you know, that's the thing, too. The NCAA at its core is a volunteer organization. These are the rules that we've set in place, and if you don't want to play, then, then you don't have to play. I mean, nobody has a right to play. It's a privilege to play. We've allowed things to kind of get misconstrued a little bit. But there will be some changes as we kind of move forward with this. And I, and I don't think people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, Steve, I'm hearing that we need like a million dollars a year to keep a baseball team here and to get a baseball team here, a million bucks a year. Well, you could probably raise that one year. Can you do it every year? Can you go out there, knock on doors, and talk to your neighbors and talk to your business contacts and say, hey, man, you love Mississippi State baseball. I know. Listen, I need $1,000 or I need $10,000. I need your business to write a big check here. You know, you might be willing to do it once. Are you going to be able to do it each and every year? And that's not just the old poor old me Mississippi State mentality, which I don't adopt to. I don't subscribe to that any whatsoever. But there are a lot of other people just like all of us. Everybody's having to pay the same five, six dollars a gallon for gasoline. And so costs are going up. And, of course, that fuel cost is then passed along to other commodities that we pay for as well. So we're paying higher food costs. We're paying um, you know, higher transportation costs for everything. And so people aren't going to be so willing to just keep writing that check just for the status quo. So it's not sustainable. So there will be some changes. But in the meantime, we've got to figure it out and do the best we can to get good ball players to campus in every sport. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. You know Blair Chandler. He's my friend. He's your friend. He should be. He absolutely should be your friend. I'm a big proponent of uh, mortgage professionals. A lot of people out there kind of vying for your business. A lot of people out there feel like, hey, I can do this too. You know, and the reality is maybe you can. But I don't know that I want to hitch my wagon to maybe a greenhorn. All due respect. At some point, we all were. But when it comes to something as important as your mortgage, you, do, you want to deal with a mortgage professional. Blair Chandler, 21 years of experience. Recently voted, um, oh, excuse me, Ferry Mortgage, the company he works for, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction. My goodness, satisfaction. If I can get it out here in mortgage origination. Sorry, Blair. So this is a guy to get things done. Back-to-back years, top 1% close ratio in the country. That's not just in Mississippi. That's not just, uh, you know, in your neck of the woods. It's everywhere. He's licensed to uh, lend in multiple states. Get you taken care of. Give Blair a text today at his personal number, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Or visit him on the World Wide Web at Close with Blair, C-L-O-S-E with Blair.com. You'll be glad you did. And mention to him you heard about him on the boneyard, and he'll pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. 
It's a nice incentive to do business with a winner like Blair Chandler. Stick with the winners. Closewithblair.com. All right, so we're going to do something a little different today on Top 10. We hadn't done rap in a while. We're going to do rap today. I enjoyed some rap on the way home from Jackson. Just kind of how it is. Like, you get an earworm. I hadn't heard this song in a while, but it's like, oh, yeah, I need to listen to this and this. And next thing you know, I'm listening to uh, Cash Money Records, taking over for the 99 and the 2000. I was living in Baton Rouge when all this stuff really began to bubble up. Moved to Baton Rouge, I guess, in 98. And uh, all this was beginning to happen. And I worked on Plank Road. Ran a furniture store up there on Plank Road in extreme North Baton Rouge. And so a lot of this stuff was happening. And, and shout out to Tony's on Plank Road. The best plate lunch in the world. Oh, my gosh. Love that place, man. So I worked on Plank. And, um, and so a lot of my employees were huge into kind of the underground rap scene in Louisiana. South Louisiana was beginning to really bubble up as this kind of oasis of rap music. And it was nothing to make a trip down Plank Road and and see somebody of acclaim. I remember making the turn right there on Winburn, and there's Mystical passing me. That's right, Mystical. And so every time something new would happen, it would be in the streets, and uh, so it resulted be in our break room, our warehouse. And so I got to hear a lot of this stuff. And I'll be honest with you guys. Even though No Limit was kind of set up in Baton Rouge, I kind of leaned more towards the cash money side. But today, we're going to talk about the best of the 504. These are rappers who were born, raised, or broken in New Orleans around that time. Listen, there won't be Webby. Webby was good. I know a lot when I coached high school baseball, a lot of our players loved Webby. We had Webby on some walkout songs and things like that. So no Webby today. Um... But this, in my estimation, is the best of the 504. And, of course, that's the area code for New Orleans, Louisiana. And now some of you guys may disagree. I didn't necessarily include what I thought was the best song. It was like, you know, Little Wayne. And I had, for a long time, I had a strict no Little Wayne policy. When, when Cash Money first broke, I, I really kind of liked Turk better than Wayne. Maybe you disagree. You know, Wayne, of course, has, has proven to be one of the best rappers in the world. Uh, so clearly I was wrong. I don't know what Turk's doing now. You know, Turk might be willing to come up and do a song for us for a warm meal. I don't know. But um, th- things have changed. But I didn't, I didn't, like, pick their greatest hit. I picked one from that era that really kind of broke them and kind of got them out there. So here we go. Uh, number 10, very controversial figure. We talk about having some credibility in the streets. Well, see, murder certainly did. Because uh, he killed somebody um, and, and ultimately went to prison. I don't know what his status is today. I know there was recently a single attributed to him. Uh, so I don't know if he's out and recording again or perhaps they recorded in jail or, or whatever. No clue. But we're going back to kind of how it all started with Hootie Who. Hootie Who. Number nine, and I, I was never really impressed by this individual. I thought in many respects he was probably – and I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but he was really down the roster for No Limit. And that's Silk the Shocker. I know he had a big hit with, with Maya, which I thought she was great. Um, but I went with uh, It Ain't My Fault featuring Mystical. Silk the Shockers, It Ain't My Fault, your number nine song. Number eight, a song that was really popular in the clubs. 
and in many ways kind of captures the New Orleans spirit, not really the street side of things. Um, but it's Cain and Abel shake it like a dog. And you're thinking, I hadn't heard that song in forever, Steve. Well, you're going to enjoy this list. But Cain and Abel shake it like a dog, a bit of a one-hit wonder. But when that song dropped, it was everywhere, absolutely everywhere in South Louisiana. Maybe it was at your place, too. But everybody was – it was in many respects – what was happening in Baton Rouge in New Orleans was in many respects kind of reminiscent of what happened like in Seattle. It's like it kind of, okay, well, you expect there to be music in Hollywood. You expect there to be music in New York and in Nashville. But all of a sudden, there's this, this grassroots movement here where things are changing, and music is changing as a result of it. But Cain and Abel kind of rode that wave. Number seven, I don't know if you know the big timers or not, that's a bird man and many fresh. And so, great video, too. But I could have gone a, a few different directions here, but for number seven, I went with Get Your Roll On. Get Your Roll On. Number six, and again, I told you I, w- I was kind of late to the Little Wayne party. I'm still not a huge Little Wayne listener. I'm not, I respect him. And I respect the fact that uh, he is a very talented guy and a very honest guy, too. You know, I don't know what's happened before in his life, but I've, I've seen a lot of these video interviews with him where he talks about how he was nearly killed, he was shot and killed, and the guy saved his life, and that uh, his dad was kind of an absentee father, that he considered his stepfather, who is now deceased, to be his true father, and that he was actually really named Dwayne, but he's a junior, and he really doesn't want to have any connection with his biological father, so he went with Wayne instead of Dwayne because he wanted to differentiate himself uh, from his father who he has been estranged from just about his entire life. But uh, I went with really the first one, the first big hit for Lil Wayne. It's The Block Is Hot. The Block Is Hot. And that's just when cash money kind of ruled the world. Number five, not a cash money millionaire, but I'm sure he has made some significant bank. We mentioned him earlier in the show. It's Mysticals. Shake it fast. Watch yourself. Show me what you're working with. I mean, everybody remembers that. I don't care who you are or where you're from. You know that song. And Mystical is great. I, I love the work that he did on uh, on um, Trinidad James' song. He did uh, Shane Fabra, just a little thick. All right, number four. And again, I, I was not a, I was not a No Limit soldier. I didn't have a tank chain on or anything like that. You know, I think I could probably pull it off today. But I, I just I leaned more towards Cash Money. I thought Cash Money was better. I thought it was. Uh, more of a dance element to that like you could hear that song in the club and i think people get excited but it would be disrespectful to not have master p on our list and so we're going to go with uh, make them say ah that to me that's the that's the one everybody knows but i i will share this with you and i know that i will get some some negative feedback master p and much of his roster was not nearly as talented as the cash money group they just weren't it's not the same. Now, there's different styles, and they're really kind of more for the streets. But it's like when Master P did that, you know, I miss my homies. The sentiment was good. The delivery was awful. I didn't think the production value and the element stuff was very good. But to say the guys didn't have some talent would be disingenuous. All right, number three. This is one of my favorites, which is why it's number three. But it's Birdman with clips. What happened to that boy? Love it, love it, love it. There's nothing about this song that I think is bad. I love the track. I love clips of speaking parts and all this. I, I think it's one of those songs, too. It was a great, 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 great collaboration 
for Birdman, who started the whole thing as a teenager, put together a record label as a teenager. But some controversy associated with the payment of acts over the years and things like that, lawsuits, and that, that's all things that get worked out. But the vision of a young guy trying to find a way out of poverty and trying to find a way out of the streets put together something that helped a lot of other people along. Number two, a guy that has kind of a limited catalog, but a guy that seemed like every time I turned on MTV, he was there. But we're going with the BG, and the song is Bling, Bling, Bling. It, it's, it still hits in the car, man. Like, I, I was rolling through Matheson last night listening to BG and Bling, Bling. I love the song. Lyrically, it's great. I think Manny Fresh's verse is really good, too. Manny didn't get enough credit, too. Manny Fresh was basic with the producer for everything in the beginning for Cash Money. But number one, you can't mention Cash Money, and you can't mention the 504 or New Orleans or the Magnolia Housing Projects without mentioning, mentioning Juvenile. So we're going with Juvie here all the way. All the way. I could go a lot of different directions here with Juvenile, but we're going to go with uh, Back That Thing Up. And, of course, there is the uh, uncensored version. Since we're a family show, we're, you know, we're not going to do that. But Back That Thing Up, I, I don't listen to the PG-13 version of my car, but you may want to in front of your kids. And, again, a disclaimer here, a lot of language in some of these songs, especially the, uh, especially the No Limit songs. And that's not to say in any way that Cash Money did, didn't speak their mind. My, my point being is that this is – your parental advisory here about these songs. Now, you'll love them. You'll get excited because you hadn't listened to them in maybe 20 years, but you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. So that's the top 10 list for today. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know, or better yet, let Roy know. Of course, Roy's still in the job search too. So if you're looking for somebody that works in the metro Memphis area, that's got a lot of experience in quality management, Roy Samanti is your guy. Reach out to him on Spotify or Twitter at Dogmatic. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And give him your idea for the top ten list. And I, and I get a lot of these times. Sometimes, too, like he'll give me an idea that you guys have sent, and I don't fully understand it, so I go back to him, and he has to come back to you. And sometimes I just think, you know, I don't know how I could put this together. Like, I just don't know if I could do this list justice. But uh, be sure and let him know. Be sure and let him know, and we'll get together. So with that said, we're going to name Roy, our unheralded hero at times, our prime shrimp player of the game. How about that? Roy doing yeoman's work for us here. And never really asked for anything, man. Every so often he's like, hey, let's, let's get together and have lunch when I come to Starkville. Just wanted you to say, you know what, Eddie's top ten lists are great. What if we put a playlist together and made it easier for our fans to maybe access this instead of trying to remember it, write it all down? We'll just make it convenient for them. This was the brainchild of Roy, and uh, I'm very indebted to him and appreciate his contributions to the show. And so he's our Prime Shrimp player of the game. How about that? If you're unfamiliar with Prime Shrimp, you need to familiarize yourself. A great New Orleans-based company that's been in the uh, shrimp peeling business for 40 years or more. Since the 1940s, I guess it's correct. Yeah. They've been around forever and a day, getting it done. I've shared with you guys before. You know, I can give you all this history, and I can give you, you know, manufacturing comments and things like that. Let me just break it down to you like this. We all love shrimp. What is a more convenient way to get shrimp other than the way that primeshrimp.com offers? It's really not. You can say, hey, well, I can go and get some store-bought shrimp, and then I've got to peel it, 
Then I got to devein it. And I got to get the tails off. Then I got to worry about throwing all that stuff away. If not, my house is going to stink for three days. Why not remove all of that imposition and work with PrimeShrimp.com? You can order it. They'll ship it to you in a container that will survive Mississippi heat. These handy pouches fit conveniently in your freezer. You pull them out when you're ready. You put on a pot of water to boil. Ten minutes later, you drop them in. Now it's time to eat. French Quarter Alfredo, Louisiana Shrimp Bowl, Simply Seasoned. They're, you can't go wrong. And I'm going to give you some incentive, too. Go to PrimeShrimp.com today. Use promo code BONEYARD to save 20 bucks off your first order. You'll be glad you did. I'm telling you, you're going to want to do it regularly. You're going to get them in. You're going to say, you know what? That was really good. Steve was right. And I don't know how often you eat shrimp, but you'll probably eat it a little more often when you find out how tasty and convenient it can be with the quality of product that PrimeShrimp.com provides. Again, that's PrimeShrimp.com, promo code BONEYARD. All right, let's take a look at the College World Series final. The segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too. If you're unfamiliar, let me encourage you. Next time you're in town, go by and see the smiling faces of Campus Bookmart. The lovely, talented Susie, Miss Pam Minyard, and Miss Kathy Brown, arguably the best buyer in the Mississippi State merchandising market. If there is anything out there with the Mississippi State logo on it, she's already got it. Her chances are she can get it for you. Be sure to go by and check out their fine selection. Now, they are out of the textbook business now. I was informed that there's going to be a release soon. They are expanding the bully shop. So upstairs and now downstairs. So an opportunity to get even more of a selection for Mississippi State merchandise. You'll be glad you did. When it's all said and done, it'll be the most extensive Mississippi State store in the marketplace here in the greater Starkville area. Be sure and go by and check them out. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders up to 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, since we have been together, the College World Series final has been set. You guys may recall we had baseball basically all the way through Thursday. And it was a great, great day of baseball. You know, let's back up a little bit here. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss and Arkansas met Thursday. I guess it was Wednesday night, I guess. And uh, Arkansas wins that game 3-2. to two. You know, how crazy was it? Jalen Battles goes running out there and nearly, nearly makes a pop fly fall that would have basically given Ole Miss the lead. Left fielder makes the catch there. They kind of survived that. And uh, great effort by Zach Morris to get that thing closed out. It was a pretty hairy situation there. But Arkansas wins that game 3-2. On the upper end, of course, uh, you know, Oklahoma and A&M had played. And Oklahoma won that uh, handily, uh, 5-1, to advance to the bracket, the College World Series final. And then Ole Miss plays a do-or-die game with Arkansas. What else can you say about Dylan DeLucia? Uh, whether you like Ole Miss or not, you have to be respectful of the effort this guy has given. Ole Miss wins the game 2-0. And, you know, the first inning there, it looked like Arkansas was going to break through a couple of uh, two-strike base hits. They couldn't capitalize, and then Delusia kind of settles in. Doesn't give up much the rest of the game. I think Arkansas stranded two runners two times in the game. But it really felt like once Ole Miss went up 2-0 that they were in control. And they were, and Delusia goes the distance. Uh, no chance, I don't think, of us seeing him uh, today or tomorrow, but we could see him on Monday. I guess maybe he could come in the back end of uh, you know, the game tomorrow if necessary. But uh, Oklahoma, 
and Ole Miss will play for a NAFL championship. First game tonight, 6 p.m. on ESPN. Game two tomorrow at 2. And then on Monday, if needed, there will be a 6 p.m. game. Now, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, it's not really a contrast in styles, shall we say, but it is uh, a very intriguing matchup. because Nobody expected, when these brackets came out, nobody expected these two teams to be playing for an NFL championship. But here we are. And I, I go back to the whole thing about Ole Miss's selection. Now, we didn't want Ole Miss in the tournament. We didn't think they had deserved it. But at the same time, too, when you begin to think about the fact that, um, you know, the SEC deserved to get nine teams in, they were the ninth team. They were the ninth team. I think they were the 11th seed in the SEC tournament. They get beat, and some teams like Alabama get hot late. But uh, how do you put Alabama in over Ole Miss just because they head-to-head? You can't. You look at the full body of work. And so Ole Miss has got in. They have legitimized their selection in the tournament. They win the regional at Miami. Miami may have been a bit tad overrated, but, but Ole Miss swept it. They really left no doubt. Thought Ole Miss played well. Then they go to Southern Miss, and I think we were all kind of hoping against hope that Southern Miss would find a way to win that game. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, you know, this Ole Miss lineup did what you'd expect them to do. And there were some times that Ole Miss's uh, pitching was a little bit up and down in that series, but the offense kind of picked them up. So Oklahoma, of course, as we mentioned uh, recently, they won the Big 12 tournament, and they've done really well in the playoffs too. I mean, they've done a great job. They've got some dudes that can really sling it too. Uh, so pitching is going to be awfully interesting in this one. You've got uh, Jake Bennett, Bennett, Jake Bennett, ten and three record this year, three point six six ERA, eighteen starts on the year. Has been really good at times, and other times he's been kind of up and down. Uh, gives up uh, what four runs on five hits and in six innings against A and M. That's awfully interesting, you know. Uh, four runs on eight hits against Virginia Tech. He's given up some hits. Had a, a good outing in relief against the Florida Gators. Uh, one hit on one run just in two innings. But uh, that's a guy that we'll expect to see for sure. Uh, David Sandlin, a guy they're calling the Sandman. That's another guy, too, that uh, you could expect some big things from. He, again, has been up and down a little bit, too, but has been better down the stretch. Had a great game against Texas A&M. Goes uh, seven innings. Allows five hits on and just one run. Uh, but a guy that, too, you know, Ole Miss is not going to see anything from Oklahoma they haven't seen in a Southeastern Conference. Oklahoma's got a couple big arms here. And then, uh, you know, out of the bullpen, uh, Trevin Michael has been outstanding for them. A grad student from Piedmont, Oklahoma. A 2.66 ERA that leads the team. 4-1 and one record, 31 appearances, just a pair of starts there. Ten saves, though. This is a guy, too, that'll strike you out, too. 95 Ks and 71 innings pitch, but he has allowed 10 home runs. Interesting to see what the weather patterns are going to look like up there. But uh, this is a team, it's an Oklahoma team that's capable of winning it. It's a team that's capable of losing it. Now, a lot of Ole Miss people out there saying, hey, this is, this is our year. Maybe it is. As much as we hate to say it, I mean, these guys are playing their best baseball when it matters the most. There's some people on the Oklahoma side saying, hey, we're set up really well. And I think that is, a, that is probably the biggest factor, I think, when you look at what's – especially today, is that Oklahoma's had more time to rest. They haven't had to burn through as many arms. Uh, Ole Miss has. Ole Miss has had to burn through some arms, and Delusia has been, again, outstanding. But he's pitched an awful lot here in a week's time. How effective could he be? You know, you know I don't know. If, if, you, if we had told you – Hey, Dave Delucia is going to throw a complete game on three days rest. You'd never would have believed it. 
but again, a remarkable performance. I mean, really, in, in Ole Miss baseball annals, a legendary performance. But this is a Oklahoma pitching staff that gets a lot of strikeouts. Jake Bennett, 123. The Sandman, David Sandlin, 102. And we mentioned uh, Trevor Michael, 95. These are guys that are going to attack you. Now, what do they do with those Ole Miss lefties? I mean, Kevin Graham's had a good College World Series as well. You know, Elko, I think, has kind of been hit or miss. And I don't mean that with a pun or anything. But, uh, you know, Graham, of course, had the two big hits the other night against Arkansas. And, listen, here's the th- Kevin Graham is, is a liability defensively. But you have to find a way to keep his bat in the order. And a, a really good mistake hitter, too. Struggles lefty-lefty like you'd expect. But uh, the reality of it is, is uh, as much as I don't think the guy's a big league prospect, he's proven to be a very good college player. And uh, doing a good job at the plate uh, for the Rebels. And when he comes up there, I always expect something to happen. So, you know, what happens from here on out, we'll see. You know, does Cade Horton pitch? You know, Carter Campbell's a middle relief guy that does a good job for, uh, for Oklahoma, too. But, uh, again, this is a pretty even matchup, other than the fact that Ole Miss has had to play more and expend more energy on the, on the, uh, on the mound. Now, offensively, you look at uh, Oklahoma, Tanner Treadway, 379 is a hitter, nine dingers, 65 ribbies. Peyton Graham, number 20, hitting 344 with 20 bombs, 71 ribbies. Jimmy Crooks, nine bombs, 51 ribbies, 311 is a hitter. Blake Robertson, I'm sure there's some relation, hitting 304. Five dingers, 51 uh, runs batted in. Jackson Nicholas, hitting 288, 11 bombs, uh, 35. So, you know, some depth in this order. You get all the way down to Brent Squires, who's hitting 310. Um, seven tanks for him and 33 ribby. I mean, so you've got some there, – there's some pop in this lineup. How much will that matter? One of the things that really jumps out to me when I look at this team is stolen bases. Now, Hayden Dunhurst has not been much at the plate, but he is still one of the better receivers. And sometimes I think maybe he exaggerates trying to frame up a little too much and cost his pitcher a strike or two. But as a team, Oklahoma – has stole 145 bases this year, 188 attempts. Tanner Treadway is 24-28. Peyton Graham, 34-36. Uh, Kendall Pettis, 22-30. So they're going to run the bases. There's no question about it. And for those of you that are curious, Oklahoma fourth in the country in stolen bases. Fourth this year. Only, only the three teams ahead of them. Texas Southern stole 220 this year. West Virginia, 156, and Wofford, 146. So Oklahoma right there. So if Oklahoma steals you know, two bases today, they'll be third nationally. Not much of a chance of them catching Texas Southern, but maybe perhaps they could catch West Virginia. But you know, this Oklahoma team, they're going to put pressure on you defensively. They're going to put pressure on your pitchers. And that's one thing I think about, Jake, you know, with Mallett starting you know, for Ole Miss. A lot of relievers don't spend a lot of time holding runners. So does that become kind of an, you know, an open doorway for Oklahoma to get guys in a scoring position? You know, when you're facing a guy that maybe is not quite as skilled at holding runners, that's interesting. Uh, sacrifice hits this year for Oklahoma, 34. They're willing to lay the bunt down to kind of get people moving. And, you know, as a team, too, when you look at these offensive numbers, too, I mean, you look, you know, 73 home runs, that, that's not a whole lot, I guess. And there is some there is some guys in here that can really hurt you, but it's not a team that is kind of predicated – on hitting to home runs. They're really more of a line drive type team. 135 doubles this year as a group, 14 triples. And they've allowed more home runs than they've hit. 81 home runs allowed, 73 home runs hit. So 
they are outscoring teams rather significantly. 515 runs, just 404. So offensively, this is a team that's capable of giving Ole Miss some trouble. And I think if you're Ole Miss, you've got to find a way to make this thing. you got to get one of these next two, and then hopefully you can get it to uh, to Delucia on Monday. I mean, that's your best chance, right? I mean, it's your best pitcher right now. I think everybody will – that is without a doubt the best pitcher – uh, on the Ole Miss staff, and and one of the guys that is probably one of the heroes of Omaha at this point. So, uh, not going to see him tonight. I don't think you see him tomorrow either, unless it just becomes like a do or die type situation, and you've got to do whatever you have to do to get to a game three. Uh, but there's that's a lot of pitches thrown, you know, for him in a short time there in Omaha. Uh, so no, I'm not I'm not cheering for Ole Miss. And uh, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. I think it kind of goes without saying. Uh, some people are. I know too much of our history, and I understand that uh, you know you've got friends that are Ole Miss fans, and you want them to be happy. And I don't, I don't begrudge that to you, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, why Ole Miss winning an AFL championship is not a good thing for Mississippi State. It should go without saying. And there are a lot of people too. I know that they, that they have this need for approval, uh, so they're like, hey, you know, you all pulled for us last year. But here's the thing: at the, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just going to be real with you. Uh, I'm not pulling for them. I uh, hope they don't score a run. But they may. They're a capable team. And it's got, it's never anything to do with those players, right? I mean, they're just all guys kind of chasing a dream. And so I got nothing against those players, but I do have a lot against the institution and uh, some of their fans. But uh, the reality of it is they're playing for an AFL championship. Uh, we're not. So looking at some of these numbers from Dylan DeLucia, they're just almost freakish, really. I mean, they're video game-type numbers. Because people forget, man, this is a junior college guy. He's not hes not some transfer that came in kind of highly heralded. He was a junior college pitcher. And he came in, worked his way up, kind of working some in, in middle relief and, and pitched some on weekends. But, you know, there were a lot of times, too, in non-conference, you know, he just really worked in, in short stints here. Had a really good outing earlier in the year against Central Florida, worked four innings pitch in relief, allowed one hit and struck out six. Next thing you know, he gets an opportunity to pitch. And, uh, you know, Tennessee got to him a little bit. But, you know, you, you can't hold that against that guy. I mean, six and two-thirds, four hits, five runs, uh, stri- six strikeouts, really competed well, had a nice start against Kentucky, did not start against Alabama. And I don't know that he started against Kentucky, now think about it. But, uh, you know, worked some middle relief against Alabama. But once he became a bona fide regular starter – the season kind of turned for Ole Miss. I mean, that's that's the case for everybody. I mean, it's like once you settle your rotation, things should get better. But, you know, Delucia goes on Friday and Hunter Elliott goes on Saturday. And I don't think anybody, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think even Ole Miss people admit you never expected those two guys to be as good as they have been. But uh, Delucia goes seven and two-thirds against South Carolina, six hits, one run. Goes a complete game against us, against Mississippi State. The one win they had was against us. Uh, and then Arkansas, he goes seven innings pitch, allows eight hits and just two runs. Goes just four against Missouri, eight innings, uh, three three runs. Excuse me, four innings, eight hits, three runs. Uh, really nice outing at LSU, worked seven innings, three hits, three runs. A&M got two of them, though. One and two-thirds of an inning, seven runs on five hits. Vanderbilt, another good outing. Four and a third, six hits, two runs. Arizona. You know, that's down in the regional down there. You know, six, six innings pitch, five hits, four runs, and 12 strikeouts. It's like you, you start looking at this, and granted, he, he, wasn't putting, he wasn't getting a ton of innings early in the year, but that's the first double-digit strikeout game. Southern Miss, nearly another double-digit strikeout game. Goes five and two-thirds of an inning, four hits, no runs. 
and uh, two walks, nine Ks. But in Omaha, he hadn't walked a single hitter. That's what's crazy to me. On the, on the bigger the stage, the better this guy has been. And that's why you have to respect it. No matter what kind of uniform he puts on, you have to respect the guy that can do, play his best baseball when it matters most. Against Auburn, he goes seven and two-thirds, four hits, one run, strikes out ten, walks none. And then, of course, the complete game against Arkansas, four hits, no runs, no walks, seven Ks. Great effort. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you feel about Ole Miss, what we're seeing from uh, Dylan DeLucia is outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. And a, and a kid in many respects kind of came out of nowhere. You know, and that's what has to happen in order to win an AFL championship. You have to have somebody step up that you weren't maybe counting on earlier in the year. And they had to kind of count on him when they had some injuries and ineffectiveness. You know, Gaddis had been banged up, and Washburn's a guy that, that uh, maybe hadn't lived up to his billing but also been banged up a little bit. But the guy's been outstanding. So Josh Mallett gets a start today. That'll be his first start of the year. I, probably the first start of his collegiate career. Maybe he serves as, a, as an opener. Not exactly sure. But, uh, you know, Mallett's got hot the other day, didn't pitch. The longest outing of the year for him was four and two-thirds against Alabama, five hits, no runs, four walks, seven strikeouts. But ever since then, you know, it's kind of been around three innings or less. He was pitched just one time in Omaha, goes uh, one and a third innings against Auburn, strikes out three, doesn't allow a hit or a run or a walk. Uh, goes one and two-thirds of an inning against Southern Miss and then pitched two innings there against Arizona. Uh, so in the postseason, uh, Mallett's been really good. And, you know, Mallett's is a guy, too, that uh, pitched against us last year in Starkville, and we got to him, but uh, he has matured a little bit and, uh, and really pitching well. And it's, it is a slider-heavy arsenal when it comes to Mallets. And so that'll be awfully interesting because what, what happens if this game gets away from Ole Miss today? I mean, I, I think really if you're going to lose it, that's kind of how you'd rather lose it so you don't go burn a quality arm trying to manage a game or keep a game tight. But it'll be interesting. And does this keep Mallets out the rest of the weekend? I would say probably not. I mean, I think as long as the guy's got breath in his body, he's going to want to pitch. I mean, you've got a NAFL championship on the line. And so uh, we'll see how things go. But uh, what's interesting, too, like you look at this Ole Miss lineup, you know, it's like they're playing after their potential. But even with that, I don't, and like of the regulars, you know, only Justin Bench is hitting above 300. You know, Calvin Harris is kind of a part-time starter for them. He's hitting 340. Kevin Graham, I guess, yeah, this, this spreadsheet's a little bit different. Kevin Graham's hitting 339. I guess, I guess again, playing really well down the stretch. But, uh, yeah, Tim Elko hitting 294. That's up a little bit. Uh, Kemp Alderman had a tank earlier in Omaha, hitting 287. 11 bombs this year for him. Jake Gonzalez leads, uh, you know, the infield at least with um, just about every statistical category. But his average is down a little bit. But uh, didn't have a great couple games against Arkansas. So maybe he's due you know, to kind of come back too. We talk about running the bases. Uh, Arkansas didn't really run the bases either against Ole Miss. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle this. But um, Ole Miss, 33 of 51 in stolen base attempts themselves and opponents, 38 of 54. And a lot of that's Hayden Dunhurst. I mean, again, I understand that the guy has not had a great year offensively. He's hitting 235 for the year, and that, that is a disappointment. But the guy's been really good. Maybe had a better year last year, even defensively. But uh, I like watching that guy work back there. He's a former catcher. I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that a guy can kind of run the show back there and does a good job stealing strikes. But sometimes, too, I think he is a little bit too exaggerative with his, uh, 
you know, with his frame jobs. And I think in some ways the, the umpire kind of catches that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes. I think in many ways the game kind of relies on the Ole Miss battery. Can they pitch it and catch it well? Can they hold runners? Can they avoid a situation where Oklahoma's playing small ball? I mean, you go back and look at that ball game against Arkansas the other night, you know, they give up a single, and then it's a high chopper that basically works as a bunt from Gonzalez, and then Graham comes through with the hit. You know, so it's like you get the single, you move the guy around, the next thing you know, he's in. And so does Oklahoma play that kind of ball game? Interesting to see. So I'm eager to watch it. I know a lot of people say I'm not going to watch it. Uh, I love college baseball. I don't want Ole Miss to win. But at the same time, I've prepared myself for that possibility. You know, but, I'll, yeah, I'll be pulling for Oklahoma. Uh, but I'll just talk about, you know, oh, it's good for Mississippi. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand that at all. It's, it's good for Mississippi. Are they going to re- repave the roads or something? I mean, I don't understand how watching our arch rival win something is beneficial to us. I think some people just say that because it sounds good. They don't believe it. They just say that because maybe they feel guilty pulling for Ole Miss – uh, because they want to pull for their their, their friend's team. And, and I, I get it. Let's just be honest about it. I mean, do what you want to do. Root for who you want to root for. It doesn't change anything. I mean, like all those, quote, Ole Miss people that were rooting for us last year, that that didn't change the outcome of the game. Will Bednar and Tanner Allen and Cameron James and, Lo, and uh, Lane Forsythe, Scotty DeBrule, Luke Hancock, Brett Cumbest, Barry Jordan, Tanner Allen. Lennon Sims, Logan Tanner, those are the guys that impacted the game. I don't think they felt any additional force or motivation because there were a few almost people cheering for them. And so you can call me a bad sport. I don't care. I've been called worse. Um, but I do think it's an intriguing matchup. And, and as a guy that is a lover of the game of college baseball, I'm eager to see uh, how these two teams attack each other. And, again, you know, college baseball is going to be over on Monday. And then, then you're going to have this big rush. I think, of guys going in the portal. And then it's going to be like musical chairs. You're going to have some guys that maybe have waited to go into the portal. The deadline is July 1st. Guys are out playing summer baseball. You know, maybe they're not thinking about it. Maybe they're contemplating if I want to come back or I want to give up other opportunities. That's something to kind of consider, too. So there will be some new names in the portal. And we've seen some activity in the portal in recent days, too. You know, Tommy White, NC State's Lakers, headed to LSU. I didn't see that coming. And there was some discussion, of course, early on that Florida State was involved and there was all this discussion, but maybe there was a tampering allegation. Well, he didn't end up at Florida State. He's now at LSU. They also take Christian Little from Vanderbilt. I don't think that's the big loss that some people have suggested it is. He did not do a good job at Vanderbilt. Uh, it's like sometimes we just see, oh, well, Vanderbilt is, you know, Vanderbilt's name next to the list, and we think, oh, well, the kid's automatically got to be good. I mean, he has not done a great job on the Southeastern Conference level. And I think that's what we got to be honest with ourselves about, too. Sometimes it's like there's some name recognition that goes along with all this, and we think, oh, my gosh, this is a huge loss for us. Now, Tommy White, that guy could be a difference maker. You know, he um, is not a real talented defender, but, you know, when you're hitting home runs the way he is, maybe it's not a big deal. But I just don't think that, uh, you know, Christian Little is the difference maker. But, but you know, good for the kid, though. Maybe the change of scenery will do him good. But uh, this is a guy that had really hadn't been very reliable for them. I mean, you look at his numbers this year uh, as his second year at, at Vanderbilt. Christian Little, 3.72 ERA with a 1-2 record, 18 appearances, only three starts this year. And he was expected to be a dude, ends up uh, getting three saves for him, basically works in relief there, uh, giving up over a hit per inning. Or, or Excuse me, I, I read the thing wrong. He's less than hit per inning, but um, – you know, 16 runs, all of them earned 17 walks. So he's basically 3-1 to one there 
uh, strikeout to walk ratio. But, uh, you know, just not has been, I think, what people expected him to be. You know, he was an early high school grad and came right in and uh, tried to do some big things for them. But it just, it just has not kind of come together. And so now he's moving on. And I think we all realize that uh, relievers, by and large, don't command a big signing bonus. Now, looking back at last year, you know, again, this is with the lighter and rocker days. And so you just needed Christian Little to kind of be a dude for you. And even, even though he was a newcomer, you just kind of hoped that he could come along. He started that game two against us in the College World Series final. 5.48 ERA, which was the highest among the Vanderbilt regulars. This is, of course, last year. Three and two record, 14 appearances, 11 of them starts. So among the starters, and that's even including the midweek guys, his numbers were nowhere close. Uh, 42 and two-thirds of an innings pitch right out of hit per inning, allowed 33 runs, 26 of them earned, 22 walks against 49K. So it's two to one there, basically. Uh, and a guy that was very susceptible to giving up the extra base hit. Uh, second on the team in home runs allowed last year and, and limited opportunities. The guy that got the most home runs, Jack Leiter, thanks to Logan Tanner and Rowdy Jordan, right? Uh, but Jack Leiter, of course, first-rounders. And so you would think kind of being around those guys, you'd be ready to kind of move ahead. But uh, for two years, it just has not worked out. And I think Christian Little's people probably realize he's got to get on the mound somewhere as a starter. Does that happen at LSU? I don't know. I don't know. And, and some of these – some of these dads sometimes, too, kind of push these kids along too far. And I think maybe perhaps Vanderbilt, that opportunity may have proven to be too much for the kid. And maybe go and going out with shoes not going to help matters. But, um, you know, best of luck to him. I am perfectly okay with us not getting him. Now, people would say, but, Steve, what about Tommy White? Hey, we pursued him. Didn't get a lot of traction on the return side. And so we're moving on. And so, you know, not to mention Hunter Hines in the event Luke Hancock doesn't come back and play catcher. If Luke plays first, I mean, Hunter Hines um, you know, would DH and then play some at first, too. I think Hunter Hines is your first baseman of the future. It's a natural position for him. Um, so not a lot to report on the Mississippi State side of the portal, but basically I'm, again, expecting uh, maybe six to eight transfers, and you've already got three. So three to six more, and maybe that's on the, hop end, the high end, maybe three to five. But basically you're recruiting about 20 players right now, you know, trying to get three, four, or five guys because you've got the draft to contend with and things like that. And you got to get some impact guys, and you got to be patient with those guys. I know, like, I read some of these comments, and you're like, well, you know, I don't understand. Okay, Tommy White is not draft eligible. All right, so he's got to go somewhere. And I think going to LSU is probably smart for him and that launching pad down there. He'll put up some big numbers down there. Eager to see what he does on the road. Uh, but, again, he's not – at this point, he's not really projectable. You know, he's not a guy that you look at and say, hey, this guy's going to be a first-round pick someday. But he is a great college player. But we made our attempt. We weren't able to get in the door with him. And so I think initially his plan was to go to Florida State, and then perhaps that path ended up changing because of the coaching change there at Florida State. And maybe some of the, maybe the smoke about some of the tampering stuff was a, was a factor as well. I don't know. I don't know how true any of that stuff is. But I do know that he's at LSU, and now we've got to deal with him. So we'll see what happens kind of moving forward. All right, let's thank our friends at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan's a friend of mine. He's a friend of yours. He's a guy that does a great job, works in a lot of different things. And he's one of those guys that really, really gets out there and grinds. I'm a big fan of Brooks. I was a fan of Brooks when he wore the maroon and white and patrolled the outfield for the Bulldogs. And uh, happy to reconnect with him in recent years. He's, uh, he's a guy, too, very, very knowledgeable guy, loves Mississippi State, part of a great group of folks that are making Mississippi State and Starkville, a better place to live and be around. 
Part of this group is bringing Portico, the great residential development that's more conveniently located than many of the other developments around our great city. You turn off 82 on the 12, it's the very first right. Pat Station Road will bring you right there to Portico. It's 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus and almost equidistant to 82. You know, so it's like you can get up and get out of town as quickly as you need to. So if you're a commuter for work or whatever, I mean, it's it's very easy. It's easy access. Uh, your friends will be able to find you when they come spend a night with you to go to the ball game. Exciting times. Now, phase one's completely sold out. Phase two's under construction now. Last I heard, 10 houses being built. A couple of them are custom builds, and so those are already sold. And then there are some other lots that are available, so you can pick a lot and pick some house plans uh, and kind of put some things together to kind of make this thing go. So I encourage you, make Portico your next move. If I was moving to Starkville now, I absolutely would. I'd move to Portico. I would. I'd like being that close to campus. I'm out here in the sticks right now, but I'd love to be that close to campus, make it real convenient, especially on uh, weekend ballgame nights, right? Just make the move, get over there, maybe even take the golf cart. I wouldn't walk, though. I mean, that's just too much effort, but uh, maybe you will. Make Portico your next move. Oh, let me give you his phone number. That's the first time I've done that. Brooks, I'm sorry. Phone number 601-416-8075. That's what I get for working on the weekends. 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, you may have heard Gene Swindoll has now officially retired from jeanspage.com. So it's the end of an era, and uh, I wanted to kind of bring you guys up to speed on a couple things. Um, so I signed a long-term contract with CBS Interactive uh, some time ago, kind of in advance of all this. So we're not going anywhere. Um, we're not leaving 247. Uh, we're not, you know, leaving our home or your subscribers or anything like that. We're not just, you know, when Gene's leaving, Gene is just leaving. The train keeps rolling. And uh, it's been interesting, to say the least. But uh, I wanted to give you guys some insight, too, on some things uh, that I think are rather interesting. So when Gene first got started, and I've been around for a lot of this, you know, I joined uh, Gene's page back in 2001, so 21 years ago. I joined Gene's page as a part-time columnist. And uh, it's what I always wanted to do, you know, was cover Mississippi State. And uh, I remember initially I used to do this email newsletter. And those of you that are old enough to remember that, I was an email newsletter guy uh, called the Robertson Report. And basically I would just kind of pick games and talk trash and that sort of stuff. And it was kind of a humor column and things like that. But uh, Gene wound up on my uh, distribution list. You had about 2,500 people, I think, when I finally quit doing the Robertson Report uh, as an email newsletter. And Gene was on the list and uh, had some LSU folks and things like that. And, and some people sometimes would, would we'd forward the column. That was a thing back then. You'd forward it to all your contacts or whatever. Kind of like retweeting nowadays, but it was a little different concept back then. And then, so out of the blue, um, I was contacted by some people about potentially taking over the rival site the Rivals Mississippi State side. And um, we had some discussions, and they elected to hire somebody else, which I, I think in hindsight, I think we'd all agree was a major mistake. And so I knew it then, and I was really upset about it. And then out of the blue, Gene Swindoll, I, I mentioned to the folks, hey, I may be having a website or whatever, we're working on it. And uh, knowing what I know about Gene now, I, I know Gene was probably kind of making a preemptive strike to prevent me from becoming a competitor of his. And so he hired me for 50 bucks a column. 
I wrote a weekly column for 50 bucks a piece. And that didn't sound like big money, but you know what? You know, I had, um, had three kids back then, you know, and there were times that things were really tough. And that extra couple hundred bucks a month meant, meant an awful lot to me, really did. But more importantly, it was a chance for me to connect with many of you, a chance for me to kind of write about the school and the programs that I love. And so I did that. So we brought the Robertson Report to Jeans page, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, some people took it way too seriously. Others didn't. But I'm very grateful to Gene Swindoll for giving me an opportunity. Now, I'm a firm believer that I would have made it anyway. But I can't in any way diminish the impact that Gene Swindoll has had on my life and, and my ability to care for my family. Because uh, Gene, whenever um, you know, things were kind of taken off, I was working a regular job. And I was still, and I was working for Scout.com on top of that, and I led the company in uh, recruiting articles every month, every single month. And these were, uh, and I was doing it part time. They were doing it full time, and I was still beating them. And so Gene goes to SEC Media Days, and he meets with some of the executive with Scout, and said, "Hey, you guys got to do this because at this point, I had rivals kind of circling back, and I had made a commitment to myself. And I even told one of the guys at Rivals when they passed on me." I said, I'm going to make it my life's mission to put you guys out of the Mississippi State business. I said, you will regret this decision for years. And they didn't believe me. I bet they do now. Uh, but rivals had circled back to me, and they have come at me a few times over the years. Kept people contact me kind of indirectly, of course. There's a lot of that that goes on, you know. And ESPN was in contact with me. You know, uh, at the time, I had a couple of friends that had left Scout that were working for ESPN, and, and they didn't have to deal with message boards. They just had to go write a daily column and go to events and things like that and uh, cover things for the ESPN stuff. And after I kind of saw that, I was like, well, that's interesting. And so I had a lot of people within the industry that were pursuing me. And Gene goes to SEC Media Days, and he basically tells them, you got to sign him. You, gotta, you, you can't let him leave. And so – Gene is the one that went over there and basically negotiated the deal and said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll supplement the salary a little bit. And so I was able to go full time. And it was a big decision, too. I took a big pay cut uh, leaving corporate America to go work full time chasing my dream. And Gene Swindoll made that possible for me. I was also able to go coach high school baseball when Ani was playing high school baseball there at, uh, at Broadmoor High School. And uh, not that Broadmoor is a power anymore, but it was a great honor for me to be able to be there. Uh, and because of the decisions that Gene made, I was able to quit the day job, which allowed me to go out there and, and work the field and, and be with my, my kid and enjoy that experience. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. And now it's become all of this. But I wanted to give you guys a couple of funny things. So funny and interesting. So the very first player and uh, – Guy played the National Football League, and he gives Gene a lot of credit for writing about him first. You know, Gene used to have the scuttlebutt back then, right? And uh, so Gene, which is now like the bones and the biscuits and everything else, I mean, really, everybody talks about we're all just kind of doing what Gene did. Um, the tidbits they used to do, Gene was doing it first because Gene had a website for anybody else, and so everybody kind of copied that format. But um, there's a guy that you guys know well that, that attributes, you know, his rise to prominence in many respects as a recruit is because he appeared on Gene's page because it was in the infancy of the Internet. And so it, it was a big deal because you did, it's not as watered down as it is now. Nowadays, like, you had a handful of websites you went to. We didn't have all this social media interaction. We just didn't have it. And so Donald Lee 
was a guy that Gene Swindoll profiled and wrote a story about, and Donald was so touched by that. Ultimately, Donald Lee Camps at Mississippi State gets an offer, goes to Mississippi State under the National Football League. And if you talk to Donald Lee now, he'll say, hey, Gene's the one that kind of got me started. Gene helped get my name out there. I mean, playing in a little small-town country school here uh, in you know, Webster County, outside of Matheson, you know, it's a much different deal. It's a much different deal back then. This was a big deal. And so on Saturday mornings, Gene used to have this routine. Because, again, we're talking infancy of the Internet. Back in those early days, a lot of newspapers wouldn't even put content. It was basically a, a link to a subscription site and a chance to kind of read a couple of handful of things, but there was never any really big news on there. So Gene would drive all over the Golden Triangle and buy newspapers on Saturday morning, every Saturday morning during football season. And he would read every one of those columns about the high school games that night. And then he would see the guys who were making plays, and he would get on the phone, and he would call their coaches and find out that these guys were legitimate prospects. And he began to build a database. He began to do interviews. But every Saturday morning, he would go do that. And he would find out, hey, we need some recruiting scoops, so we need to know the names because he loved recruiting. Just didn't we didn't have we didn't have an interactive database back then. And so that was it. Gene subscribed to certain newspapers, and then he would make his rounds all over the Golden Triangle, living in Caledonia. He would go pick up the Columbus Dispatch. He'd get the Tupelo Daily Journal, get the Starville Daily News, and whatever else there was out there, and comb through it looking for players that he could write about and talk about. Then things got a little more interesting for us. You know, we, um, I had already joined the staff back in the early 2000s. And then the insiders, which eventually became scout.com, uh, purchased us. And I'll never forget the, uh, when everybody had to make the move over, there were so many people that didn't click the box about, uh, I don't want to be sent offers or whatever. And so people were getting inundated with, you know, maybe 20 emails a day from all these partners with the insiders to try to get people to subscribe to their services. And that was a challenge. You know, eventually it passed. But we had people threatening to cancel. Hey, if you can't stop my emails, I'm going to just cancel. And maybe some did. I don't know. But then the insiders became Scout. And uh, we had a great relationship for a long time. And, of course, then Scout.com was bought by Fox Sports. I went to work at that point for Fox Sports and Gene. Uh, which is rather interesting. But uh, the reality of it is, now all of a sudden, you know, the database and all these prospects that we had kind of picked up, and, um, you know, Gene kept this little handy spreadsheet of all the players that he saw and things like that. And there was a time that we had uh, we started a video servicing business. We, we would go out and video games and uh, videoed more high school football in the state of Mississippi than anybody. We'd go out there and do it ourselves. We had a, at one point we had as many as eight videographers, and we would go out to a different high school game. And after a while, I was the guy assigning the responsibilities of, "Hey, this is where this guy's going to go, whatever." And then Gene would take all those tapes, and uh, we had different colleges, including Mississippi State, that subscribed, and we would send that to them. And we weren't really looking to make any money; we just wanted to cover our expenses. We wanted to help kids in Mississippi. And there were some schools, of course, we couldn't get to, and so Gene Swindoll would drive to that school with his dual VCRs and record the tapes, sit there and record these videos of games, the players. And I remember a time, too, that we're, you know, we're sitting there trying to get phone numbers of players back when we had phone books, and phone books were available online. And I'd try to find a kid, and, and then I would just go to the phone book calling people, and the next thing you know, Gene's helping me. 
trying to get a kid's phone number. I mean, it's like we, it was incredible the effort we had to put in. And it's not like it is today where you could just shoot a kid a direct message and goes right to his phone and say, hey, I need to interview you. Here's my, here's my phone number. You know, we had to go track people down. And there's sometimes we'd be talking to people, oh, yeah, that's my cousin, but their phone's disconnected. I'll go get him for you. And I'll let him come down here and interview for my house. It was a big deal. And so a lot's changed since then. Then ultimately, of course, we, uh, you know, Scout and 247 merge, and we come along, and it was difficult. It really was. I mean, you know, we had been competitors for so long, it took some time. It took some time for everybody to adjust, and I think Mississippi State fans benefited the most from that. But, um, but uh, and now the time's come for Gene to move along, and um, it's a very well-earned and, and well-deserved retirement. I, I began to think back, you know, back when he worked for the railroad and everything else, and he's doing all this part-time, you know, it's like, there's so many people out there that have really been so negative about Gene. And I think a lot of it is just jealousy. I think a lot of it is like, you know, I wish I would have had that idea first. How does Gene come up with this idea? How did he beat me to the punch? Well, he did. And he built up from a hobby, you know, from being this, uh, you know, the biggest Mississippi State site in the world. And that's the thing I think about, too. You know, I began, in the beginning, Gene was the first, and he's able to kind of walk out on top again. And uh, very grateful for Gene. And uh, Gene doesn't know as much about sports as I do, and he'll admit that. And Gene will tell you, you know what? I'm not the writer that you or David are, not the writer that Mike, Mike is. Robbie, he probably said, I'm probably the worst, worst writer on the staff. Um, he worked hard to take great pictures for us. But the thing about it is, is that Gene had a vision. Gene had a vision, and he wanted Mississippi State fans to have a place of their own where they could talk about recruiting, talk about sports, and so there wasn't one in existence, so he created one. He created a website so Mississippi State fans could connect and discuss their favorite team. And, um, again, it's, it's very melancholy. While I'm excited to kind of have the full range to myself, in many respects I've been operate, I've been basically the, the chief operating officer for a long time. But, uh, you know, i got some changes that I want to make, and we're not going to do anything right away. But there are some things that we'll do and uh, some new features. And I, I do there are some things that I want to do personnel-wise – uh, as far as adding to our staff, not in any way subtracting, but, uh, you know, Gene and Miriam both are moving on. So, you know, we've got some, some things we'll have to do there to kind of compensate for the views that we'll lose, you know, with those folks moving on. But um, very, very grateful. And I, I can tell you a couple of funny things about Gene, too, before we go. I think you guys will find this hilarious. So traveling with Gene is awfully interesting. And I've done a lot of it, you know, over the years. Like a lot of times I would drive, drive up to Starkville and link up with Gene, and then Gene would drive. Now, he won't like me saying this, but Gene's one of the worst drivers I've ever known. And, and honestly, honest to goodness, he is. And then riding with him and Marianne together, you know, Marianne's one of these that, you know, kind of grabs the, you know, the, uh, the oh, you know, what handle. And, you know, she kind of is a little dramatic at times for Gene's driving. But, but it's, some of it's warranted, not going to lie to you. Gene's driving leaves a lot to be desired. He, again, he'll get his feelings hurt when he hears that, but the reality of it is it's true. But uh, so we, we, um, we traveled a lot, and, and uh, you know, Gene got his new car several years ago, and we had this, uh, you know, he had Sirius XM, you know. Um, and so when I'm traveling, I always have the music playing, like always. I mean, it just, unless, the, unless I call somebody, I mean, the music's always on. When I'm working, the music's always on. I, I just need to have that noise, and I enjoy music. But sometimes, like, Gene gets tired of listening to the radio. You know, just turn it off. Like in the middle of nowhere, we'll just ride along, and then he'll turn it off, and then he will do this little 
maybe unconscious type reaction. He'll start going shooby doo. He'll start kind of like humming along there. And I'm thinking, Gene, I'd rather listen to the radio. You know, if we're gonna make noise, well, God, I just get tired of listening to the radio. So he would turn it off and I'm like, Gene, I gotta have the radio on. I just I can't do it. And so then Gene would want to want to pick the channels. And so we would go like to the doo wop fifties. And there were sometimes I think he even listened to music older than that. And then like so then after a while he'd listen to that and then he'd get tired of it. And the next thing you know we're listening to like Danzig or Dio or Black Sabbath. And uh, I would be like, what, what a contrast in styles here. And he goes, well, I just kind of like what I like. And so and it's amazing. Sometimes he'd come up to me at the press box and want to talk about Ronnie James Dio or something. And it just tri- trips me out. And I tell you this, too, and, I, and I've committed to this, and I hope the family will go along with it. You know, Gene's in good health and, and uh, really going to have a chance, I think, to have, have a good retirement. But, you know, he's always told me that, uh, that his favorite Jimi Hendrix song was I Hear My Train A-Coming. And so if I have anything to say about it, when, when Gene's funeral comes, we're going to play that song. I hear my train coming from Jimi Hendrix. And uh, I was not really as familiar with that song. But any time that I put on Jimi Hendrix, Gene wanted to listen to it. And uh, so when I hear that song, I think about Gene. Uh, so another thing, too, we went to Dallas for the, uh, for the Women's Final Four, right? I mean, we had a chance to go up there and win an AFL championship. And so Gene's with me. And uh, he didn't go to Columbus the next year. It was just me and Robbie. But it was me, Gene, and Robbie. And Gene and I traveled together. And the traffic in Dallas nearly did Gene in. I mean, it's just like he's just like sitting there sighing, and I'm trying to navigate for him. And, you know, instead of him having to depend on his, uh, you know, inboard GPS, it's like, okay, Gene, up here, we're going to take a ride or whatever. I did my best to help him. But this, the traffic was so overwhelming, <laughs> he t- told me, he said, hey, this is the last time I'm making a trip to a major city with you. And in the future, you can just kind of go by yourself. This is it for me. And he, and he meant it. And, he, and he, he held true to that, too. Now, he may have made a trip over to uh, – see some baseball stuff but uh, he did not make a major trip with me but it's interesting the last night you know we're getting ready to play and um, I guess we you know we lost South Carolina and I had picked out what we were going to eat basically every night you know were some nights that you know one night we went to uh, Papacita's Cantina to have those amazing steak fajitas and Gene's like you know I could have got this at Chili's I said not nearly as good at Chili's uh, Gene you know it's like you know, yeah, you could have had steak fajitas at Chili's, but um, these are real steak fajitas. So they're seasoned well. And uh, so Gene eats like half of his, and I ate all of mine and then part of his and then put myself on a food coma, it felt like. And then some nights after ball games, you know, we'd go, we'd go to Denny's because it was the only thing open near the hotel. And so Gene had decided, okay, our last night he wanted to go eat at Steak and Shake. And so we get into, we get into the car, and it's frustrating, right? I mean, it's like, you know, We've lost the ball game, chance to win an AFL championship, even though South Carolina was better than us. You know, we still hope to win, right? So we get in the car, and we just start driving. And, man, we're driving, and we're driving, and we're driving. I'm thinking, where are we going? He goes, I'm going to the steak and shake. And then we get, we're driving, and we're driving, and we're driving. And it's like, I mean, we go like 15, 20 miles. And um, we stopped at the steak and shake. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it was in Grapevine, Texas or something. I mean, it was, it was way away from our hotel. And... Uh, I was like, Gene, you know, there's, we just passed the steak and shake back there. And he goes, well, I knew where this one was. It's everybody small. So we go in there and we eat. And the food was good. And so we're going back. And I was like, what, what was so special about that steak and shake? He goes, well, I just saw it earlier and I thought we'd stop there. And I was like, well, you know, there, there are other steak and shakes, you know, in Dallas. And he goes, well, I, you know, and he got a little flustered with me. And he's like, yeah, well, that's, that's, I, that's the one I knew how to get to. <laughs> and so we get back to the hotel and we take the, the exit. And lo and behold, like right to the right of the hotel 
was a steak and shake. So we, so we had gone down to the steak and shake. We take, basically drove an hour to go get steak and shake, and we could have walked to it. But uh, but anyway, I, I just wanted to share that, man. I've had a great time working for Gene, and, um, you know, Gene has been so good to Mississippi State people. And in many ways, it's kind of helped me be more of a, a diplomat. You know, or sometimes in the past, like, you know, somebody would say something negative on – on the, on our message board and, and you know i almost saw it almost like twitter right and so gene was like you know these are our customers and that's how you have to kind of utilize this you have to see this as your customer and you can't just see this as well this is just some crummy person this is our customers you got to find a way to be a little more diplomatic and even handed with everything and so so i uh i owe a lot to gene and uh in many respects mississippi state people owe a lot to gene i mean gene was a pioneer in this industry and really, in, in many ways, uh, you know, helped close the deal when Scout.com was able to get Chuck Roundsville and his crew. You know, I mean, Gene was a guy, you know, and it's like it's difficult now because we're so far removed, you know, from the infancy of the Internet to really appreciate, you know, how it was called Gene Swindoll's recruiting something web page. And so eventually it was shortened to Gene's page. But, um, you know, back in those days, individuals couldn't have websites. You had to have a web page. And so that's kind of the genesis of the name. But, uh, you know, I remember my friend Michael Kirby, and some of you may know him, we worked in the furniture industry together for a long time. And uh, as soon as I got a computer and got connected to the World Wide Web, he goes, hey, man, you got to go to Gene's page. You got to go to Gene's page. So one of the first things I did when I got a computer, I went to Gene's page because I wanted to see what people were saying about Mississippi State. And little did I know, 25 years later, I'd be taking over Gene's page. And so, Michael Kirby, thank you to you uh, for the introduction. And, Gene, thanks for all the opportunities. On behalf of a grateful Mississippi State fan base, Gene, thanks for all you did uh, to help us all feel a little more connected to Mississippi State. And uh, we'll take it from here, and uh, we'll do the best we can to not only carry on the legacy but uh, to improve upon it and make it something bigger and better than it ever has been before. If you haven't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com and get you a copy of uh, Dogpile. You should. If you hadn't already done it, go ahead and do it. you got friends that are coming up and got birthdays that are Mississippi State people. Maybe they don't have one. Buy the book. Don't assume they have it. Just go buy it. If they do, they'll give it to somebody else. While you're there, you can get copies of Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Flim Blim. And again, I caution you, Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs, we're running out of those. I haven't had an update inventory, but I think it's less than 20 on Stark Villains and less than 40 on Alpha Dogs. And we're not going to print those again this year. Probably do a short run next year, but there's no guarantee of that. That may get pushed to 2024. I don't make all those decisions. Uh, but all that being said, go by and check them out. And if you need Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. I love that design on that book cover. I do. That's why I did Alpha Dogs the same way. And uh, it's now officially licensed and trademarked by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Uh, thank you guys so much for your support over the years. And, again, I apologize for the tardy show, but I wasn't going to shortchange you. will be back on schedule on Monday, barring something completely uh, unforeseen. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.